support this podcast at patreon.com forward slash Chris Kyle Photography Podcast. start these by finding out a little bit of the background of the person that I'm talking to, how they found photography and so on. I don't ever mean this to come across as you being an unknown. Obviously, in most cases, I'm the unknown factor in people finding this podcast. But I still think for the context of what we're doing, it's important that people know your avenue into photography. So how was it that you found photography in the first place? I actually found photography by complete accident, if if nothing else. I was 20... I want to say 24 and uh, I'm 39 now, but uh, yeah, I bought a camera just on a complete whim. I was, had zero direction on what I was going to do in my life and I was just looking for a hobby and I ended up picking up a, a small Canon Rebel TI film SLR and did what most people do. I took pictures of park benches and close-ups of flowers and fire hydrants and all those types of things. And it just, it, it was something I found that I actually really enjoyed. And so when I decided to try out school, because at the time I was just doing different warehouse jobs and things like that, like I said, I, I really didn't know what life was going to unfold like for me at that time. And so I, I applied to the University of Saskatchewan and got into there. And one of the classes I took was a black and white darkroom course. And I'd loved it. I fell in love with the darkroom. I just thought the whole thing was just, I don't know, there was there was just something about it that I loved being there in my spare time. I spent a lot of time there, different things like that. But uh, so from there, once I realized, oh, I actually did enjoy using a camera, I applied to uh, SAIT in Calgary, Alberta for their photojournalism course. And I did one year of photojournalism and realized I am in no way a journalist in any sense of the matter. I had zero interest in any of it. So I dropped out of that and I ended up doing some assisting and working in a little bit of camera retail for about a year. And then from there, I just decided that, you know, it's, I'm a sink or swim type of fella. I knew at this point that I wanted to go into photography. I still didn't know what the, the road would look like going down, but I knew if I didn't just jump into it and figure it out as I went, I was just never going to do it. So my wife and I, we were coming back from our honeymoon and I just said to her, Hey, this is something that's. I want to do and it's something I think I can do and it's scary and it's a big risk but I think you know now is the time to take it and she said go for it so in July here now it'll be 12 years that I've been doing this as a full-time photographer and it's actually gone swimmingly well I'll I'll take it <laughs> oh it's obviously fantastic to have such a supportive partner in that um but one thing I always like to find out for people that photograph other people is what is the draw towards photographing people as opposed to landscapes or many of the other genres that people tend to move towards See, when I first got into this, I knew I wanted to photograph people, but I was actually scared to death of photographing people. So probably the first two years that I actually uh, used a camera, the only person I really photographed was my girlfriend, who is now my wife. I was terrified of the the whole prospect of, of photographing someone. And I don't know if it was disappointing them or just not knowing what I was doing at the time and just looking like, you know, I, I, I had just had no clue as to run a camera, anything like that. But I don't know. I just, I always had a draw to portraits. Whenever I saw photography that interested me, it was always portrait based. And so when I started picking up a camera and started playing around with it, I knew that was something I wanted to do. It just took me a long time to build up the courage to actually get into it. And now that that's what I do for a living, there's just... I really love meeting people. I've always been a a very social person. I've always been someone who has always done well with just picking up a conversation and running with it. And I I have a genuine interest in people and the stories that they have and how they ended up, you know, being in front of my camera and what I'm doing and what, what story am I telling of theirs? And I just find the whole process to be very interesting. And I do enjoy, you know, good landscape photography and different things like that. But I just find that the social characteristics that I naturally have are probably what drew me 
to photographing people and you know having having those stories learning those stories about those people and trying to tell a story with the photo that i take and so from there what is it that pushed you towards youtube youtube for me right now i don't know it was just something that has always been sort of on the side um there was like a 10 month hiatus there where i didn't make anything youtube related and right now i mean with the pandemic going on and everything there's just downtime and mm-hmm. I think I'm just, I've been looking for a way to, to still create because that's something that I need. It, it, I don't do well if I'm not creating something. It, it's from my own mental health and from my own perspective of feeling productive and, and feeling like I'm, you know, somehow contributing to my life in some way outside of, you know, being a family man, everything like that just, just for myself, just for my own personal needs is I, I, I'm a guy that likes to create things. And YouTube right now is something that I'm doing a lot more of, obviously, because I have more time, but I, I don't know. I've never set out to be a YouTuber or make that, you know, some massive part of, of who I am as a creator or anything like that. Right now, it's just sort of an, a means to an end. It, it, gives me an outlet to be able to to create things and experiment and try new things and one of the things i've always said i wanted to do more of was was video learn how to attack more of the video side of things and i know i'm not you know doing any type of filmmaking or anything like that and pretty much everything i'm doing is more tutorial based or vlogging based or different things like that but i'm still learning a lot about video and the different aspects of it and it's it's giving me the confidence to try more things and there's there's some more kind of short story type ideas that i have rolling around my head that i'm thinking about tackling soon and different things like that and it's just i don't know for me it's it's just another outlet it's one of those things where i'm not looking at it in any other terms of other than just a means of expression for me at this point. And if it turns into something else, awesome. But I'm not really aiming to be a YouTuber or anything like that at this point in my life. I'm just trying to find, like I said, a hundred times now, just just finding an outlet, a way to express. Well, I think, I mean, you meant, mentioned mental health and I think that something that comes with, and I'm talking very broadly and completely from a position of a lack of education on this, but it does feel to me like people who are creative are usually suffering from some form of sort of either self-identification issues or from the perspective of not maybe having the higher self-esteem, you know, and then potentially a lot worse in terms of heading down the anxiety or the depression route. I think that the the most healthy form of creativity is always when you're doing it for yourself. And then if other people like it, then that's fine. If that makes sense. No, absolutely does. And yeah, like, I mean, I mean, I think on the mental health spectrum, it, it what I'm learning is it doesn't really matter if you're in the creative field or not. Um, this whole thing is sort of kind of the, uh, this COVID-19 that we're all facing right now is really forced us all to kind of look inward at ourselves. And what were we filling these holes with that we were, you know, not, uh, not addressing in terms of how we felt about ourselves and, uh, the different things that, you know, we were avoiding taking care of and different things like that. So it's one of those things where on the mental health side of things, like, yeah, it does help me to create, It, it does help me to kind of unload some of the things that are in my brain and, maybe avoid some of the things that I don't want to deal with. But um, mm. yeah, I don't know. It's just one of those things where everybody's everybody's coming to terms with, with different things right now. And that's been hard. And that's one of the big things too when with YouTube and just to touch on this a, a little bit more is that I often get messages from people that say, you know, they've seen my recent videos and things like that. And they say, you know what? I, it looks like you're doing well. And I'm really glad to see that. And I, I'm, I'm totally honest with them. I say like, well, you know, I, I have a YouTube personality. There's, that's not a direct reflection on where I am all the time in life. Half of the days, right. everything sucks. Like, you know, 50, 50, some days are awful and some days are better. And some days, you know, I'll create those things just to, to lift me out of something where I'm not feeling fantastic. So it's one of those things where I don't want it to feel like 
everything is just amazing in my world and everything's going great and I don't have a worry and everything like that. And I'm creating these videos and I'm in a good mood and all this and that. I don't want to give the, the false narrative that, you know, there isn't problems going on in my life like there is in everyone else's. And I'm, I'm trying to be very conscious of that as well and not just kind of feed the machine of of distraction, but, you know, be honest when people approach me about it and say, Hey, it looks, it looks like everything's going great over there. And I'm like, well, sometimes, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes no, you know, that kind of thing. So. Well, it's definitely a problem. I think with social media in general, that there is this constant drive to create a character, sort of a caricature of yourself that is always succeeding, always, always gaining, always winning, always happy. And I think the problem with that is that it does lead potentially quite impressionable people to believe that there's something wrong with them if they're not achieving this fake idea of what is easily achieved by everybody that's a social media personality. Oh, absolutely. And that and that's a huge thing is, you know, everybody puts their their best face forward when it comes to what their online persona is. And it's look at me, I'm sitting on my balcony having a beer in my swimsuit in the sun and everything's amazing, you know, pandemic be damned, all this stuff. And it's just, and then you see that and you go, well, I'm sitting in my living room feeling like shit. So what's, uh, what's wrong with me over here? And so I've been having a lot of conversations with people and Um, You know, I did create the one video sort of at the beginning of all this uh, talking about, you know, depression and anxiety mixed in with creativity and how I watched, you know, all of my work disappear and, uh, you know, just how I've been trying to come to terms with dealing with all this and and trying to make the best of it. But it's not as easy as just, you know, saying it. it. It takes a lot of work and it's not easy for me. And I don't want to give the false narrative to people that I've, I've got it all figured out and that, you know, I'm just over here making, making my best life. But it's one of those things where there's been a lot of people that have reached out to me because of videos like that. And I've been honest with them and just said, Hey, you know, there, I've got good days and bad days, just like everyone else. And I don't have it figured out. I don't, any of it figured out just like everyone else. And, you know, I'm just trying to make the best of a, of a situation that, is out of my control, which is something I'm not used to. So it's, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. And I feel like I'm lucky because in a lot of ways, I think I'm in a better position than a lot of other creatives. But at the same time, there's still a giant question mark that's over top of my head too, that I don't have answers to any of this. And I think that's been the hardest part for any of us to figure out is, you know, what's next and just nobody knows. I mean, one thing that I'm pretty well known for on this podcast from the limited amount of people that unfortunately find it, but hopefully that will grow and grow, is that I like to ask a broad question and just kind of see where you take it as opposed to kind of confine you to an obvious answer. And as someone that creates for YouTube, and I'm assuming as someone that maybe consumes what is created for YouTube, do you think it's a good thing generally for photography, YouTube itself? I mean, from a learning perspective, definitely. It's one of those things where, you know, there's the massive information that's out there right now and the ability to, to learn how to, you know, control and create lighting and, you know, just take different or learning software or any of these things. Like there's just, there's so much information out there. And I mean, that's how I'm trying to learn how to do video is I'm, I'm taking up some tutorials and trying to figure out, you know, how to do different, different transitions and all these different things that kind of give your video a little bit of snap and how to find better audio and how to, you know, do all these, these little things that I just, I don't know, but I'm also stuck at home. So I mean, YouTube is a a super valuable asset to me right now and and teaching me how to do the things that I don't know how to do and then figuring out how to make them my own. YouTube is just one of those things where it's, it's such a wealth of information. And I think that's great for the community as a whole because it just allows all of us just to get better. So I've been teaching workshops for about four years now and obviously you teach through YouTube. And a lot of that is, I think, a lot harder because you're talking to an audience that doesn't feed back when you're in the process of teaching. But do you think that teaching others has helped you understand your own style and understand your own processes a little bit better? Yeah. And I mean, like I do, I for probably, 
I'd say probably the last four years as well. I've been doing probably like one, sometimes two lighting workshops a year here at the studio. And um, obviously, like, I mean, they're one of my favorite things to do because it's just super fun to watch people figure it out. And to sometimes people who have come in here who have never even picked up a strobe leave here that day and they're like, oh my God, I can't believe what I can create right now. And it's super fun to watch. When it comes to the YouTube tutorial stuff and everything like that, I'm more or less just kind of going through what I've already created. So uh, it's one of those things where, you know, from a feedback perspective, really the only people that are going to pick it up and watch it are are people who are looking for a very specific type of portrait that they want to create. And maybe they come across one of my videos and that seems to match what it is that they were trying to do. But honestly, like, I don't know, I'm just, like I said, I'm, I'm trying to add a little bit of value to things. I, I don't really know what the end result will be that I get out of it, but I've always been a big proponent of community when it comes to photography. And I get a lot of emails from people in my area, sometimes out of my area that, uh, you know, they're coming up and they've got questions, you know, how do you price this? How do you do this? Um, all these different types of things. And I always, I always provide as much information as I can, because I believe strongly that the better we are as a community, the better we all do. There's this sort of misconception that I think a lot of people have where, you know, the more knowledge that people have, the more competition there is and the less chance that they'll get work. But I've always held on to the idea that the better everyone is and the more educated everyone is and the more even we all run, we all just end up getting picked for the appropriate jobs. So it's one of those things where I, I believe that we do better if we're all doing better versus, you know, one person doing better and everyone else falling behind. So it's a point of insecurity, right? Where people don't want someone else to be doing well because somehow that affects how well they're doing. They feel like someone else doing well limits how well they could do. And I think there's a lot of sort of self-image projection when it comes to that. It's, it basically always seems to feed back towards insecurity. Um, let's stick with your YouTube for a second here because uh, so I first found you, uh, you came up on my recommended feed a, a long while ago uh, for a video about ambassadorship and how you were no longer an ambassador for <laughs> Fuji. Yep. Yeah, that happened. Let me just uh, uh, let me just completely kill the um, the the wheels in motion here. The first thing that actually struck me was the fact that the video was in black and white, and I really liked that. I really liked the fact that when we seem to be photographically in a phase of just mass oversaturation and hyperrealism, the black and white gave it a really classic feel and it just made, it actually made the video stand out. And that kept me um, interested on a subject that I'm not the biggest gearhead, to be completely honest. So I stayed involved in that video purely because of the actual aesthetic and the way the video was put together as much as the content. Why do you shoot in black and white for YouTube? Uh, I've always just had a huge draw to black and white. It's one of those things where a lot of my personal work has always been black and white. And when I first started shooting video type stuff, I thought, you know what? I kind of want this to resemble some of my portrait work. And so I just started gravitating towards shooting in black and white. And then when I started doing a little bit more of the tutorial stuff lately, I started doing more in color because I thought, well, you know what? Maybe I need to get out of my comfort zone and and try some color stuff. But then in my very... My most recent video, I went back to black and white just because I missed it. It's one of those things where, I don't know, it's just a an aesthetic that I find to be timeless. And black and white for me is always taken away from the the general kind of look of, you know, the fashion side of things. Like it, it makes it less about clothing. It makes it less about the environment. It makes it more about the person. Mm -hmm. And that's just always how I've viewed black and white is it just makes it more about you're engaging there's so much stripped away from it in terms of, like you were saying, the, the visual side of oversaturation and and just like it, it just makes everything far less busy so that you can really concentrate on the subject. And so for me, when I saw when I started doing that, I I really quite enjoyed it. There was a lot of it was mixed. There was kickback saying, well, how could I ever watch a review in black and white? And I just thought, well, same way as you would in color. But mm -hmm. I mean, sure. And then, you know, there is those who, as like yourself were saying, you know, seeing it in black and white was actually a, a really nice change of pace. So I've decided, you know, 
if you see anything in color from me, it's because I want to test myself on something. But if I'm just doing something because I've, I feel like it, it's probably going to be in black and white. I, I've stopped the idea of trying to, to please the masses because the masses can never be pleased. That's a good shout. I think that's where a lot of people go wrong. Um, we've that was a good teasing start to the subject. Um, basically, the like I said, the initial video that I found you through was the one on ambassadorship. So I don't want to. I don't want you to relay that story. I think if people want to hear that, they can go to your YouTube channel. They can watch that video, and um, you do an excellent job of outlining it. But all I really want to ask you is: is there a misconception on what a brand ambassador is when it comes to photography, and why do you think there is a misconception? I don't know if there's a misconception. I just think that the relationships always tend to become a little bit lopsided. And for me, when that happened, that is when I just decided to pull the plug. And I mean, nothing against any company out there. I mean, everybody just wants the best bang for their buck and they want to feel like, you know, they're, they're getting out of it, what they're hoping for, but sometimes what they're hoping for doesn't line up with what they, you know, should be providing in terms of that content or those shoutouts or anything like that. So I just, I don't know, I, for me, for myself, it's one of those things where I've just found that the, the payoff doesn't seem to, to actually be a payoff. It's one of those things where, if if they're not asking more of you than you feel like you're already giving, then right. stick with it. But when things started changing and there was started being different stipulations put on what it meant for me to be an ambassador of that product, it just became something that didn't really fit in with who I was as a photographer. And it wasn't anything personal or even anything business. It just wasn't what it was. I wasn't willing to change my whole outlook on, you know, the gear and my way of promoting it in order to continue to be a part of, of the program. And so I just left. And, but the only reason I made the video was really just because I answered so many emails over the course of being an ambassador about the product and I was still getting them. And I kind of felt, you know what, I don't mind ask, answering questions, but I'm not that guy anymore. And right. I got tired of telling people why well, I'm not an ambassador anymore. So I don't really have these answers for you. And uh, not because I, you know, only had answers because I was an ambassador, but because I didn't have access to the gear to test it or anything anymore. People were asking about new cameras that were coming down the line. And I just had to keep saying, well, I don't have access to them. I've, I haven't tried one. And so rather than continuing to go through that, I made the video to just kind of announce, hey, I'm not that guy anymore. And uh, it's, those emails stopped. So I guess it kind of did what it was supposed to do. Yeah. Well, obviously I've, I think that's one of the most frustrating things is obviously when you're answering the same question over and over again, a thousand times. And some people do go to the effort of putting something out that kind of covers all like an FAQ or whatever. And it, you know, it doesn't seem to stem the tide. So power to you for managing to calm that down. On a little bit more of a positive note, one thing I do want to know, because I've never spoken to someone who does YouTube to the level that you do and photography to the level that you do, I find actually quite a lot of the high level, and this is entirely my opinion here, but quite a lot of the high level YouTube photography personalities are known for selling stuff to photographers as opposed to being photographers, um, which is where I think you buck the trend quite strongly. You obviously have a fantastic set of images of your own, a great portfolio. Do you, have you found that YouTube has helped you become a better photographer or is it just something that you do that is loosely connected? No, it's definitely something from a, a loose connection. Um, as I said, most of the videos that I put up there are videos that are based around shoots that I have done. So I've never shot anything specifically, you know, I've never set out to do a photo shoot saying, thinking, well, this is, this is going to be my next YouTube video. YouTube is very secondary to what I do. I've, I've been a commercial photographer now for, like I said, well, I started out in weddings, but I've been shooting commercially now for probably six or seven years now. And so it was one of those things where it just, it allowed me to share. Like I said, I, I enjoy sharing. I enjoy the community and I enjoy, you know, being able to be a part of that conversation. But it's, YouTube is not something for me right now where I'm looking at it or I have ever looked at it as like, this is going to be a means to an end in terms of 
how I make a living. I, I make very little money on YouTube. It's uh, I, I might make five or six dollars a video, so it's not anything that is you know paying my bills or anything like that. It's just something that I enjoy, and I'm just looking at it as a from a, an enjoyment perspective right now. Mm-hmm. I'm not looking at it in terms of creating anything specifically or you know, changing my photography direction to, to suit a YouTube mold in, in any way whatsoever. I'm, I make my living as a photographer, not as a, not as a YouTuber. I just enjoy sharing what it is that I'm, I'm able to create. Let's talk a little bit more about your work. Um, one of my favorite, well, quite a few of my favorite images of yours are part of your texture series. And rather than me describe it appallingly, and then you correct me, I figure I'd just give you the floor to talk about your texture series a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting because that seems to be what, you know, most people, when they find me, what they get drawn to. And it's one of those things where I started it a few years ago and it was just something where, you know, that, that whole idea of black and white that we were talking about before, where I really would just, I wanted to strip everything away and just make it a portrait about interesting people that I meet. And a lot of them were just either uh, faces that I came across through random, like uh, a connection on Facebook or something like that, where I just said, Hey, you know what? You've got a really cool look. I've got this project. Would you be interested in being a part of it? And, you know, just meeting up with people and spending 15 minutes with them and just trying to create a portrait that had some visual interest. And it's something where it's interesting because it was a project that was ongoing, but then I just kind of stopped and I, I don't know why I, I really enjoyed it and I still enjoy the portraits. I, I think they are some of the best portraits that I've ever created, um, just in their terms of their simplicity and in their impact. But it, I don't know, it, it became one of those things where that's sort of what I was becoming known for. And I don't know if that worried me or if it just didn't sit well with me or what I just kind of turned off on it for a while. And it, I I think also because it became one of those things where I started feeling pressured, like I need to create more of these and it became less about a project for me and more about a project that I needed to continue on for, for people to, to pay interest to. And I, I, I don't know why that's uh I don't know why that didn't sit well with me. I think it was because it was kind of my first ongoing personal project and it was becoming more than that just through its the the amount of attention that it was getting that I just I felt like maybe I needed to retire it until I knew I could reapproach it and only be thinking of doing it for myself and not about Instagram or sharing it on here or there or anything like that. So it's, uh, it, it's work that I'm really proud of and it's work that I'm really glad that I've created, but it was something that just, it started getting legs of its own and in a way that I wasn't in a way that I didn't want it to. And so I, I, I've, I've put a hold on it for a little while, I guess. Is it the case that you felt like the attention for it was driving it more than your enjoyment of creating it? Well, I think like anything, it was becoming more where I thought I need to keep creating these. Right. Because this is what people want to see. So you felt like there was a demand as opposed to um, uh, your demand to make it, like your your own desire to make it. It felt like there was a demand on it. So it felt more like a product. Yeah, exactly. And And I didn't want it to be that. It was something that I wanted to create for myself, but it was becoming something that... I was starting to look at as well, okay, well, what I need, I need to keep going with this and, you know, just keep driving that, that interest, but that's not what I wanted it to be, which is probably the most artsy thing I've ever said in my life, but it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, it, it, I've never really thought about it too much until you ask that question. And this is just kind of what I'm, you know, digging into and, and realizing in this moment. So one of the things about your portfolio in general that I really enjoy is the fact that you have 
a cinematic level of contrast in the sense that I feel like a lot of your images carry that same weight in the contrast as you would get from a lot of modern feature films, a lot of movies. But you still retain the realism of a more filmic look, which it feels like that's where people are losing the balance is they either go for something that's hyper real or they go for something that looks like a really poor attempt at imitating film. How did you find your style and I guess a a weird question to ask someone that's in your position, but do do you ever really like your work as much as people seem to like your work? Are you ever as much of a fan of your work as what other people seem to be? Oh, thank you. Um, To answer the latter part of your question, usually no. Um, I don't feel like that's a, that's just something as a, a, a creative as a whole is that I've just, I always, I always look at everything and realize what I could have done better. And it's not saying that I don't like my work. Every once in a while, I create something and I'm really, really happy with it. But I feel like that happiness doesn't last a super long time. After a while, I'm like, ah, okay, well, you know, I, I, I probably could have done this better and different things like that. So I, I understand that I'm good at what I do. And that is why I've been able to be successful at what I do. And I'm competent mm-hmm. and I have enough confidence in my work to be able to take on jobs and, and do the work that I do confidently. But I've always strived for better. And I don't think I'll ever stop striving for better. There's just, when I look back at work that I've created over the years, there's some of it that still holds true. And some of it where I, I look at it and I go, well, I can't believe I was actually proud of that at one point. So it's one of those things where, (laughs) you know, I, sometimes I'm, I'm always, I'm always looking for how I can improve, but I don't try to let it be such a detriment that I can't enjoy the work that I'm creating. It's, it's a, it's this fine line gray area in between, you know, liking it and not liking it all at the same time. So it's, I th- and I think that's just, you know, creatives as a whole, that's, that's just how we grow. And that's, that's part of the process, but I'm sorry, I kind of forgot the first part of the question. That's fine. That's fine. I actually think that you bring up a really interesting point. I've always said to people that one of the most helpful things you can have in any creative field is just a lot of self-hatred because one of the biggest problems you see with uh, people that struggle to progress or grow as an artist or a creative of any sort is when they start to, um, without wanting to sound crass, they start to enjoy the smell of their farts a little bit too much and they start to enjoy their own (laughs) work a little bit too much. And a a little bit of self-hatred actually goes quite a long way when it comes to the uh, creative sense of sort of growth. And yeah, and I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, I don't ever like to cast too broad of a a blanket or anything like that, but I have typically found in most instances where the people who are the most confident about their work and they're kind of like, hey, check out this amazing thing that I created and I'm the best and blah, blah, blah. And it tends to be fairly subpar. So it's... Mm. The, the growth, the growth, I think, yeah, it does come with, with just a little bit of disdain for, for your own creations. I think the best art is always when it's almost too good for the person creating it, where they don't actually fully scope what it is that they've created. It's almost like it's, it's the, their work is a little bit beyond their own comprehension and they only start to realize what they've done later on, but that, that self-hatred's reined them in and they become better. And I think I'm getting a little bit too um, smart ass with this question. So I'll probably just revert back to what I was talking about before. I don't want this to sound like I really know what I'm talking about because people have called me out pretty quickly. But how did you go about finding your style in terms of shooting and retouching? Was it like a long process of taking, did you take influences into account and try and mimic certain um, other artists or was it just a slow progression and evolution of what you liked? I think... You know, as with everyone, when I first started into this, I did take a lot of influence from other photographers, different things like that. It uh, just in trying to find my own voice, I I often studied a lot of other photographers' work and what they did, and and just trying to figure out, you know, what what worked for what it is that I wanted to do. But as I progressed more and more into all of this, I started realizing that looking at everyone else's work wasn't creating my own work. I I wasn't finding my own voice. And so I really stopped 
it's, uh, and that's not to say like, I don't have favorite photographers and work that I check out or anything like that, but I I've started to trust myself more in my own vision and what I thought or what I think works well as an aesthetic. And as I started to do that and just, and trust my own ideas and my own way of retouching and color grading and different things like that is when I really just started to find a way to create a body of work that regardless of what genre I'm shooting is sort of signature of, of me as a photographer. And I think that's the only way you can really come up with a, with a, a style is if you really just trust yourself to, to go with it. And, but it, it takes a while to get there and it, it takes a lot of practice and imitation and, you know, inspiration and all these different things from other, from other people in the creative fields in order to, to figure out what that might be. But for myself, I don't know, I just, I stopped looking outward and just started seeing what I could create if I just trusted myself. And and that's where a lot of that came from. And a big part of my color grading and different things like that is I, I, I think I just look at it differently because I'm colorblind. Okay. I, I, I have a general idea of, of how I want an image to look and I make it look the way that my eyes make sense. And that seems to translate well into people <laughs> or for people who are not colorblind. So it's one of those things where I've never really strayed too far off into the, the random, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just different things when people are doing all of a sudden my brain just stopped. Do you mean like following trends? Yes. That's what I'm looking for. Thank you. There we go. That's all right. Yeah. The different trends that people have, uh, you know, there was a big vintage thing for a while and different things like that, where I didn't follow any of those because I couldn't make sense of them visually. I I didn't know if I was recreating them properly or not. So I just kind of stepped true to, to what I liked. And as I've done that, I've just refined it more and more and more to the point where I'm at now. And it's work that I feel from a, from a strictly color and light perspective is something that hasn't really deviated too far from where I've always wanted it to be in terms of like, you know, you can't look at one of my images to say, well, that was definitely shot in 2009 or something like that. Like mm-hmm. it, I, I didn't follow those trends. I just kind of kept with true to, to what I saw as, as visually pleasing. And because of that, I've managed to develop a style based around it. How do you push through when you're not happy with your work or you're not enjoying the job that you're doing, say commercially, what do you do to push yourself through that wall? Every once in a while, I think I just need to remind myself that even my shittiest day is better than most people's best days. I, I have a job that's actually pretty awesome. And there are times when it's less awesome but if I really look at it for what it is, it's still way better than anything else I've ever done in my life. So that, and I have a wife that'll remind me every once in a while to pull my head out of my ass and just realize <laughs> that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to be able to do what I do. And, uh, you know, there, there are definitely worse things that I could be doing. So even if it, if it's not, you know, the hundred percent awesome, it's still way better than any of my other options that I have available to me. Well, I don't want to kind of sandbag you completely here, but there is something I do want to take up with you that I'm not particularly happy about. Uh, I'm a 32-year-old <laughs> guy that looks about 20 years older than you. Um, what are you doing mm-hmm. to... I mean, I feel like you've just not got enough stress in your life or um, you're getting too much good food and you're enjoying too much good light. Um, how are you staying so... How are you staying so young? I need to figure this out. I, I, I'm just genetics. I, I'm going to be hitting 40 <laughs> in August here. It's crazy. And, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm a really active guy. I play a lot of sports. I do a lot of backcountry stuff. I, you know, I, I've, I do eat healthy, all these, all the things that I think are maybe you're supposed to check off of your list or anything like that. But yeah, I don't know. I just think that I, I'm just, genetically lucky that if I shaved off my beard, I would look like I was 18. So it's one of those things where... Well, it's funny you bring that up because I, I, funnily enough, I shaved off about half my beard today. And um, yeah, I just, Christ, the self-esteem just went through the floor. Um, I was not happy (laughs) at all. (laughs) 
I have shaved off my beard one time in the last, I guess it would be eight years or so. And it was when my daughter was three and I went up to her room when she was sleeping because I heard her moving around. I had shaved it off after she had went to bed. And when she rolled over, she just looked at me and all she said was no. And she rolled the other way. And that was, that was, that was the last time I was without facial hair. I threatened my children with it all the time saying, Hey, you want me to go shave it off right now? And they're just like, no, please don't, please don't. So how do your kids feel about having a a dad that does photography and does commercial jobs and does all of the things that you do? How do they feel about having a dad that's like a cool photographer? They, I mean, it's all they've known. So, but they, I don't know, they, they think my job is interesting. It's, uh, I've, I've had them on set when I've shot before. My son was actually a model in a campaign that I shot. He, uh, when, yeah, when he was five years old, we were shooting a campaign for uh, the Calgary downtown association. And one of the, uh, one of the shots needed to be this, uh, small boy in a theater. And being that my son was that age, I said, Hey, why don't, uh, why don't I see if I can find some faces for you? And you know, we'll, we'll go with it from there. So I took a photo of him and then some of his buddies and stuff like that. And I didn't say who he was, but I included it all in the brief and sent it off to the, uh, to the agency. And they selected my son without me ever giving, you know, a a, a clue as to who he was. And Mm -hmm. so when, uh, when the shoot day came, I was like, Hey, just so you know, when, when Chase shows up, he's going to run up and give me a hug and a kiss. I'm his dad. And they were like, Oh, okay. Well, thanks for letting us know type thing. But, uh, so he got to be in that. And so he brings that up all the time. He was on billboards and stuff and everything. So he thought that was pretty cool. And, uh, yeah, my daughter, she's just, she is, she's nine years old and she is just an artist through and through. So she thinks what I do is actually pretty awesome. Her and I actually did a photo shoot yesterday where, um, I was, I was testing out the, the new Godox 8300 Pro and I was actually going to shoot a video for it. And this kind of goes back to me, you know, taking away or, or trying to stop doing things for other people as I was shooting a video and I was going to do it with her and I for YouTube and her and I were just having fun shooting portraits. And I just shut off the camera and just decided I don't care about YouTube. I just want to have a day with my daughter. And so she shot my portrait and I shot a bunch of her and stuff like that. And we just had a really fun di- like day in the studio type thing. So I, they, they appreciate that they have a dad who gets to do a cool job, but is also able to be around a lot more than a lot of their friends' dads, which is right. something I'm super grateful for as well. You know, I, I get to be with my children way more than a lot of other fathers that I know. And for that, I'm, I'm forever thankful for as well. You're in your studio right now. Is that correct? Yes. Could you operate as a photographer in Calgary? It is Calgary, right? I don't want to get the wrong city. Yeah, no, Calgary or Calgary or however you yeah, want I'm, to put I'm it sorry in. If I'm, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing it wrong again, full set of British teeth. Um, half, half the people here pronounce it differently. Uh, well, in England, we don't pronounce half the alphabet, so I, I can't really mock anybody else. <laughs> but we are still super bummed about the I being taken out of uh, aluminium, um, but we won't go there. There you go. Could you operate as a photographer in Calgary without a studio, given, I'm assuming, quite restrictive weather for at least a quarter of the year? I mean, I did operate without a studio for a long time. It, uh, it becomes one of those things where you have to become a lot more creative in terms of being able to find space and, and places to shoot and everything like that. I, the studio for me, I got about four years ago, and it's been amazing. Like Having it has made my ability to, to do business substantially easier. So it's one of those things where it's, it's been a blessing and I'm super happy to have it. But if I didn't have it, I would find a way there there's, there's different ways to, to, you know, do pretty much anything, but for, uh, to have it is, is been a really big feather in my cap. I'm not going to lie about that. It's just one of those things where I'm really happy I have it and I never don't want to have it. But if I didn't have it, I would, I would find a way to make it work. How are you using this incredibly frustrating time where we just seem to be clawing to get out of our houses and get back to work? How are you using that to kind of plan your next step of progression as a photographer? I mean, right now I'm Fortunate, I'm in a lot of talks with um, 
a lot of companies right now figuring out how we're going to approach work coming up into the future. So I'm building on work and, and figuring out what the logistics are for, you know, how we can put it all together. Um, so it's one of those things where we're, I feel like, you know, I'm trying to figure out how do I approach, like, what's the approach going to be? And my clients are also trying to figure out, you know, what the approach is going to be. So it, it's, I feel like right now it's, it's more on a, a collaborative effort of trying to figure out what is the best possible way to, to move forward with this and what will the new normal be? That seems to be the, the catch line in every email I get right now as we're trying mm-hmm. to adjust to the new normal. And it's, it's a giant question mark that's over top of all of our heads, but we're doing what we can to, to figure out how to, you know, move forward safely, but productively and still be able to create the work that my clients need created. And, you know, it's one of those things where I don't have the answers to it and neither do they, but we're sort of just trying to bounce back and forth off each other to figure out if we can come up with an answer together. And, and that's been kind of the, the lead off point right now. And having the studio space that I have, it does open up more doors for me because it is a large space. I've got 1800 square feet of shooting space on the main studio level. And it just, it allows us to keep our distance. Um, you know, everything in here, I'm the only one that's coming in here. So I, I know everything is clean and I know that, you know, nothing is, nothing is dangerous or anything like that. And it, it's, you know, we've got all the the hand sanitizers and the soaps and everything like that. So while I haven't been really doing any work, when the time comes, we're just trying to figure out what the best course of action is to to make it as safe as possible for everyone. And what having this space is definitely something that will help me moving forward in that, just in terms of being able to have a large amount of usable space and I'm not confined to an office or a small boardroom or something like that for my corporate clients and for the commercial clients. Um, you know, we can we can set up uh, all this different staging areas very far apart. So it's, it's one of those things where I feel like, you know, when, when things finally start kind of getting their wheels in motion and different things like that, having this space is, is going to be, uh, a, a, something that really helps me to move forward as, as a commercial photographer. Do you find it's hard to separate the business side from the creative side? Because I know a lot of photographers that are fantastic in what they do with a camera, but maybe they're not the best bookkeepers or they're not great at admin. I certainly fall into that category in terms not of being a good photographer, but definitely in terms of being absolutely crap with emails. Do you find it, do you find it hard to separate the two or is it actually beneficial to not separate the two and to, to really immerse yourself in both sides? I've struggled kind of with both sides of the argument. I've had different times in my life where I wish I just had like a rep or somebody like that, that would handle all of my emails and my bidding and all that type of thing. And just kind of, you know, tell me where I need to be and when, and how amazing that would be. But the other half of it is, is that my approach to photography and one of the reasons that I have been able to do as well as I have is that I'm, it, it's my personality and how my, how I approach photography and these clients as a whole. And that, you know, I, I've always maintained that I always want to create as good a work as I can, but I also want to have a lot of fun. And so there's been a lot of jobs that I've booked where I'm not necessarily the best photographer. Like there's people out there who have more talent than I do that I was bidding against. I'm just more fun to work with. So if I put somebody in between that, and now I've got somebody representing me. Well, these new clients and stuff like that—they're not getting—they're not getting me, and they're not getting my responses, and they're not getting, you know, my my personality when you know I, I email them back and and chat about different things. So I'm setting up, you know, a middle person to to handle the business side of it, and it just makes it more about business and less about the relationship. And I feel like this this whole kind of approach to photography for me has been based around relationships. And that's what's kept me going for so long is that when things come up or when things like this happen, where we've got this pandemic and and work is few and far between, I've built quite a few relationships where the people who are still looking to hire people know me and are are coming to me. So to, to have someone, you know, handle that I feel might be a little bit more detrimental than, you know, helpful 
in some ways, but I, I see both sides of the argument. I just, for me right now and where I am and what the world is doing, I feel like relationships are huge. And so I'm just kind of taking that all on myself. I apologize for this being a naive question, but what do you do when you want to be inspired? Do you go to photo books? Do you have a collection of books that you go to? Do you go to YouTube? Do you have um, like Pinterest boards and things like that that you go to? But when you really feel like you want to be inspired as a photographer, what do you do to encourage that? You know, I, I try not to push it too much. I've like, I've got my favorite photographers, Dan Winters, Dean Bradshaw, guys like that. Like they just, they create these amazing cinematic one shot masterpieces that, that say everything. But, you know, I, I feel like, you know, when I'm not feeling overly inspired or, or things don't seem to be clicking is I'll actually just kind of separate myself from it altogether. I'll, I'll do a lot of yard work or something, or I'll go climb a mountain or, you know, just do something other than put myself into a position to try to force it. And I always just find that, you know, when you can clear your mind, be it through either meditating or anything like that, is that's when things actually start to fall into place. So you have to, you have to give yourself a chance to, to step back from it and to actually just let it come to you type thing. And so I find when I'm having times where things are frustrating me or things aren't falling into place, I'll just completely remove myself from it and allow my brain to actually, you know, refunction again. And that tends to be the best approach for myself and, and finding out, you know, what, uh, what my next steps will be. I don't want to make you feel bad or anything, but you have just alienated most of the UK by saying that you'll do yard work or climb a mountain. They don't feel like they're not on par as activities. Climbing a mountain feels like it's a little bit more arduous than doing a bit of yard work. But I don't know how big your yard is. I'm imagining it's a bit bigger than what we've got in the UK. It's been absolutely incredible to talk to you uh, from a from a personal point of view of someone that follows you, but also from the point of view that you have such an amazing insight into these things. If I could ask you one oh, more annoyingly you. broad question, and then I'll let you go back to enjoying uh, lockdown and your family, more importantly. <laughs> If someone was to come to you and say that they, they have a, an interest in photography, they've been doing it for a few years at like a, a hobbyist kind of level, and they're thinking about taking the step towards making it their job, what one piece of advice would you give? Oh, okay. So let me make sure I want to ask this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to try and frame you a little bit here, but what piece of advice would you give them that is positive in terms of them making that step forward? And what would you say to them perhaps to put them off and make them really consider it? Well, the first thing that I, I typically tell, say to people when they say, hey, you know what, I really like taking photos and I'm thinking about making this, you know, a, a business and a living is I just tell them to be careful because when you make this a business and a living, it can really take away from the shine of enjoying your new favorite hobby. Yep. When, uh, when it comes to paying the, when you're relying on it to pay your bills, keep a roof over your head, bidding against other people you know, trying to find this work and, and making it a means to an end, it can really rob some of that enjoyment uh, that you get from just, you know, going out and taking photos for yourself. So I just tell people, you know, be aware of that. Be aware that if this is just a hobby that you really enjoy, turning it into a business can sometimes rob some of that, uh, that shine from what it is that you're enjoying about this so much. So that's kind of the only the negative side to it that I, I inform them of is that, you know, taking a passion and turning it into a career can sometimes rob you of the passion. But from a, you know, a positive aspect is I just tell them, you know what, just be yourself and work your ass off. Because the thing is, is like any endeavor, be it creative or not, you really only get out of it what you put in. And my favorite part about all of this is that I've even when I was younger and I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, all I knew is I didn't want to work for anyone else. I just, I have a weird personality and that I don't like being told what to do. And I just, I don't, I, I just, I need to have some of my own freedom. So with photography, I found that I've I found a way to be creative and be my own boss and everything like that. And not only that, if I work my ass off, I reap the benefits of that. My boss doesn't. You know, so it's one of those things where I tell people, if you, if you can figure out a way to make this work and you can create something 
that speaks to who you are as a creative and people are willing to pay you for that. That's amazing. It, it's, it's one of the, the highlights of, of, you know, any type of career is to be able to, to make something that you actually want to make and people actually want to pay you for it's, it's harder. It's hard to beat that. That that's kind of what the goal is for everyone. So I just tell people, you know what, if, if you can make a good solid run at this, because just like any business, there are those who succeed and those who fail, but if you can do this, it is a really amazing way to make a living. I just, like I was saying, with my ability to spend more time with my children than a lot of fathers get to the ability to create for a living, the ability to, to have all the things that I have in my life, thanks to my ability to, to pick up a, a camera and push a button. It, it's kind of hard for me to, to fathom that, uh, you know, this is, this is the direction I ended up in, but I'm, I'm super pumped that I've managed to, to make what I have. Uh, actually, just to double down on what you were saying at the beginning there, I really do agree that if photography is the thing that takes you away from a job that you're not enjoying, you should be extremely wary about making it your job because then you need another thing, something to distract you from your job. Um, that's why I think <laughs> yeah, some people fall short, right? They, they, they take the thing that they really enjoy, they make it their 24-7 occupation, and then when you don't enjoy it, it's a completely different animal than when you are just enjoying it on weekends and after work. Yeah. And, and it's one of those things where, you know, I still do, I, I don't want to make it sound like I don't enjoy it because I absolutely do. A lot of my free time is spent creating portraits just for myself that have nothing to do with my clients or anything like that. So I still do quite enjoy being behind the camera, but I'm fortunate in that, you know, I, I've, I've managed to, to find a balance between my personal work and my, my paid work. And uh, not only that is I've managed to create a lot of client base that uh, reflects my personal work. So I don't feel like I'm creating something out of my wheelhouse all the time. But uh, yeah, it, it, it can be a dangerous side effect of, of following that passion is that, you know, if, if things don't go well and your business isn't doing well and you're really stressing out about all of these different things, it, it will rob you of, of that love for photography that you once had. 100%. So for a podcast, I have spent about 65 episodes bemoaning social media. I ironically always end it by asking you to tell me your social media and your website links and stuff so that everybody that's now fallen in love with you through the course of this podcast can know where to go to find your work. <laughs> I keep it real simple. Everything is just Nathan Elson. So Instagram is at Nathan Elson, youtube.com slash Nathan Elson, and my website is nathanelson.com. It's been an absolute privilege to talk to you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah. And thank you for, uh, you know, kind of digging deep into me and figuring out what it was with the texture series that uh, the reason I stopped. I appreciate <laughs> that. I'll, I'll have to do some inward reflection and figure out where the next steps are with that for sure. Generally, people that speak to me do walk away feeling like they, uh, they're reconsidering their entire life choices. So <laughs> I love it. I was thinking.